Hey everyone, Adam McQueen here, the host of the Competitive Enablement Show. If you haven't heard yet, we recently launched the Compete Network, which is led by a collection of 13 of the best competitive experts in the space. There's a ton of content out there, there's a ton of resources, and there's a lot of upcoming events in the works. So do go check it out at thecompetenetwork.com. Reason I'm telling you this is actually today we're featuring an episode from the network. Uh, one of the newest shows, Back Office to Boardroom, hosted by our good friend, Clara Smith, the Senior Product Marketing Manager at Slack. In this show, the best competitive professionals are joining Clara to share how they got from where they were to where they are today. In this first episode, Clara is joined by Elise Knuckles, the Senior Director of Competitive Intelligence at Elastic. And I can tell you, Elise does not hold back in this one. With that all said, let's hand this thing over to Clara. All right. Well, hi, Elise. Welcome, welcome to our first episode of From the Back Office to the Boardroom. Thank you for having me, Clara. Really happy to be here. It is such a pleasure to have you. Um, for all those listening, I have looked up to Elise for the past decade as a competitive intelligence leader um, and champion within the industry. So I am so excited and honored that she's joined us for our first ever episode to set the standard so ridiculously high um, and hoping for other people to match that in the future. So that's my intro of you, Elise. I opened up kind of our prep call before saying how I wish that you were my mentor sooner because you are that incredible in terms of what you do and how you do it. But please introduce yourself to our audience today. You are far, far too kind. Um, I I'm not sure I can top such a wonderful introduction. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just super pumped to be here. I'm humbled to be here and be the first guest on what will be a very successful and long running series. Um, and I hope I can come back someday and do this all over again, hopefully. So fingers crossed this continues. But um, yeah, I've been in competitive intelligence for like almost 20 years. It's kind of disgusting and I feel old and um, there's only so many Zoom filters one can turn on to make me not look as old as I am. But yeah, it's coming up on 20 years in the industry. And, um, you know, I fell into it accidentally, like literally everyone does. I mean, I think kids nowadays coming out of school might actually have a career profession and a, you know, they've got enough guidance, but you know, Clara, when we were around, like when we were in school, that this wasn't a profession, no. you know, not at all. No, nobody um, knew it existed at least. No, nobody went to God school no. for it. No. So like, we're all kind of falling into it for whatever reason. Um, I fell into it because of a horrible boss. I was a systems engineer at Lockheed Martin. This, this person who I'll who will remain nameless actually had the guts or the, the audacity to ask me to rewrite my career development plan to indicate when I was having children. And I was so upset and irritated by that. I'm like, oh, I'm done, like done. So I stopped, I gave up my security accreditation, my networks for Navy ships and all the things that I was doing that was fun. Gave it up and went into this random world because I looked for any role and it happened to be in competitive intelligence price to win. And I'm like, I don't know what any of that is, but it ain't engineering and it's away from this idiot. I'm gonna do it, I don't care. So I figured out how to get hired. And that was my my first inkling of competitive. And that was what, 2004 or five, and I haven't looked back. So it's been a, a whirlwind journey through um, high tech, through acquisitions, through um, divestitures, through 
cutting of teams, building of teams, changing companies, consulting, going back to practitioner role, all the things. So yeah, it's been a been a crazy ride. Um, I won't bore you all the details because my LinkedIn profile kind of shows all this, the random stuff I've done. But bottom line is here, we're going to have fun today. I think um, I, I love to share some stories about just dumb things I've done, stupid shit that I've done <laughs> that I hopefully can tell the, you know, audience here, you know, maybe learn something from it and maybe avoid that mistake in your own, in your own careers, because, you know, you've been around long enough, you're going to do dumb stuff. And we can learn from each other because I've done my fair share of dumb, dumb stuff too, Elise. And I think at its finest for all the listeners listening, you can just expect a bunch of incredible stories, a lot of laughs and a lot more fun to come. Um, and as Elise said, you can find her on LinkedIn. We're both very open to connecting with you, but we're here to tell you the non-LinkedIn stories the non-conference appropriate insights, and to really get you excited about potentially exploring a, a, a career in competitive or even just elevating yourself to the boardroom. Every single person, every single vertical and industry out there wants to get a seat at the table. And Elise has positioned competitive intelligence as a leader to get her a repeated invite at the table. So let's start there, Elise. If you could go back in time and talk to that 2005 year old Elise, um, starting out a career and compete, maybe a little bright eyed, bushy tailed, what would you tell her? Um, and what would be that one or two piece of in advice that you would leave with her? Well, first I tell her to dye her hair, not be blonde and go to dark brown or do something different because blonde at Lockheed Martin at the time of that, you know, that time of year, that 2005 general timeframe was not appropriate to get attention and to actually tell executives that their prices were billions of dollars over what was going to be competitive. It didn't work. So I think that'd be my first thing is dye my hair. Um, and then once you go into tech, then you can have your blonde hair back. I, I think a lot of young practitioners don't know how to do or are afraid to is to say no. Um, and I was horrendous at saying no because yeah. you're young. You're, you, you're ambitious. You want to prove yourself. And, and CI is not an established role where there's like set boxes of what we're all supposed to do. And the expectations and the requests come from everywhere. And some of our ridiculous, some are, you know, useful, but still ridiculous. And so it's like, it's, it's hard to, to really balance that and to make sure you're providing value back without killing yourself in the process. And I, I think I learned that lesson really, really hard um, in, in the secure computing McAfee days. At the time, my team was uh, managing the network, like uh, the one of the business units. So we were focused, you know, small team, very focused niche area within the whole entire, you know, realm of product. And we were providing dashboards and content to our general manager who looked like a rock star at leadership meetings because the content was amazing. We had a lot of focus in on this one industry. But then the other GMs got jealous and said, hey, wait a minute, why don't we have that? And instead of pushing back and saying, yeah, we don't have the resources, can't do it. I was this ambitious idiot and said, remember I said dumb shit? This is dumb shit. I said, yeah, let's do it. I'll do it. Sure. Why not? So we did dashboards and we did the summary for other areas within our portfolio that we had no business talking about. <laughs> the classic overpromise. Did you underdeliver? We underdelivered embarrassingly. One of the GMs even said, what is this crap? Like, I can't use any of this. Oh and, my goodness. and he was right. I can't blame, I can't fault him because honestly, we didn't know and I have enough depth in the industry, the history of that market, the competitors, all the dynamics. It took a lot of recovery for me on that one. That was one of the hardest lessons I learned because it was just, it hit me in the gut because I knew I did something wrong. I knew it was my fault. 
Fast forward though, I learned from the stupidity. <laughs> um, probably a couple of years later, um, different different leaders, different dynamics, and similar situation. We had I don't know what it was like maybe a product tear down or something sure. really interesting that another business unit got wind of and said we really need this. Can you do this for me? And what did I say? No, we can't do that work. I don't have the resources. We don't have the people. If you want this kind of work done, here is what I recommend. This is the level of person. Get me a headcount and I'll knock it out. They turned around. We eventually got to the global compete program that we wanted, but it was a lesson I had to learn really hard. And I really want your, your audience here to, to hear that, especially your more youthful folks just starting out, is that there's a powerful word in no. If, if you don't you know, keep your box of really where, where, you're, where you're specialized in, you're going to sell yourself short. You're going to do crap work. It's not going to be fully thorough and it won't be your best foot forward. Yeah. And you're going to end up having the situation I did. And I'm glad it turned out positively, but I'm telling you that was a really hard couple months. I was just massively mortified. So I just really think that's the biggest lesson. I would say, say no, know your boundaries. And if you get fired over it, oh, well, find something else. Not worth it. Absolutely, Elise. That resonated with me on so many levels. And the biggest reason why is because I'm a avid people pleaser. I think the little the little girl in me, right, from a psychological perspective, wants to be friends with everybody, right? And in your case, you were representing a team. That's actually when we met back in what, 2015, was it? And you were leading the charge at McAfee. Your team was growing. And it's so easy to say yes, because you want to be that affirming force. You want to keep the door open, keep the relationship flowing, keep the work, you know, going and it, it makes sense on paper. So I think my last question before we kind of jump to a different topic here is what was that recovery process like for you, that healing process for you and your brand? And how did you make it up to that stakeholder? Painful. Um, what's, what's really interesting is another leader. I was at an offsite, um, not that far, not that pre far before this happened. And he, we had this, you know, it was a great little powwow session. And you were talking about just kind of getting over drama, getting mm -hmm. over, you know, setbacks. And the, his advice resonates with me. And I tell everyone, and I, and I, I hope everyone takes this home with them is that you can have a, a mess up, a screw up, a, a problem, give yourself 24 hours to be pissed off, angry, sad, cry it out, drink yeah. it out, whatever you got to go do. Don't get a tattoo, maybe. Don't get a tattoo. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no tattoos. <laughs> maybe not that. That's a little permanent. But <laughs> do what you need to do for 24 hours. Give yourself that window of just literally being an absolute bitch, awful person. Get it out of your system. And after, as soon as that 24 hours is up, you move on and focus on how to fix it. That first 24 hours is probably my liver was not very... <laughs> very happy with me. The audience um, can figure out what 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 Elise does in her 24 hours. It <laughs> right. took time and it's patience and realizing that emotions run high in the moment. Um, mm -hmm. People eventually forget. And I think honestly, if I asked him today, we're for friends today, which is funny. I bet you he forgot about it within 30 seconds of it happening. Whereas I held on to it and I'm still talking about it how many years later, um, but yeah. it's still but an it's, important lesson. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for sharing going that deep professionally, because these are the moments that make or break us and it broke you, but it also made you right. And you're mm -hmm. bringing it forward to this moment because even though he might forget about it, the impact on the positive level that it's had on you and your entire team in terms of how to respond to adversity truly defined, I think your character and brought you to the next level. Um, so I want to double click into one thing here that you mentioned. So you were at the boardroom. You made it to the boardroom, right? Your boss had those reports and dashboards and insights. How do you, Elise, 
Looking back on your illustrious career for the past 20 years in CI and everything in between, how do you continue to get invited back to the boardroom? Sometimes I don't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I um, love honesty. This is why you're here because no one else is this honest on episode one, right? Well, <laughs> let's just lay it down, right? Let's set the bar high, like you said. Um, no, I think sometimes it's there's a comfort level in not being in the boardroom, depending on your your oh, your board your board and your C-suite. Um, the back I, end is comfortable. It's safe and it's warm. <laughs> yes, and I feel like you can have bigger impact. It depends on your industry. Um, fun, fun story way back in the day. Um, I was attending a, a CI, uh, training where the, the instructors were flat out telling us, you know, the whole class, if you're not doing strategy, you're not in the boardroom or talking to the CEO on a daily basis, you are an idiot. You're useless. You should quit yeah. all these things. Right. And I was at the time doing a lot of sales escalations, go to market messaging, a lot of tactical stuff. And I'm young. I'm stupid. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go. I went up and asked him I'm like straight up at the end of the class. I'm like, you guys weren't serious, were you? You're just trying to like do a, a pitch, you know, or something. And they were like flat out. They were serious. They're like, this is what they believed. There was no room for any kind of tactical work whatsoever. And I'm like, really? Um, maybe I need to change my career. Oh, my God. This is so like not what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm doing it all wrong. And I, I was very impressionable at the time. But all it took was you know, going back to the office with the team and we had a big deal that we won because of the intelligence we provided. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on a second. That's not strategic. That actually brought in revenue in dollars. And then, then my brain started thinking, I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, hold on. If all we do is strategy and no one's really tending to the deals and the money coming in today, then who's to say that five-year strategy even exists? You know, I, I started thinking like, there's, there's a, there's a play here for the the folks that aren't in the boardroom. And so yep. I played both sides and I guess it just depends on what your company values. Yep. Um, some companies I've worked with, you get to the C-suite and they literally don't even want to acknowledge there's competition. Yep. So why would I want to be there and have that battle every day? It depends. I mean, so I, I don't want to say that everyone should be strategy or everyone should be tactical. It's all providing value. And your stakeholders have to have a clear understanding with you around what do they prioritize? What do they measure? And what do they consider valuable? So that's up for our listeners to do some homework around that. But I love that point. And I have been personally criticized for being way too tactical. So I've over-rotated on the tactical side. Um, I also have seen in the past 10, 15 years when I've gone to those same competitive intelligence conferences, this concept of the ivory tower, that you're strategic, you're ex-McKinsey, you're ex-CIA, uh, you're ex-Boston uh, consulting group and you are you fly into the tower you save the princess and then you leave right versus i was joking with somebody i was like no i am i you know i go down rapunzel's hair into the trenches to work sales deals too so my question for you elise and where this is going is how do you find that balance right if your stakeholders are bought in if you have that repeated you know motioning back onto the boardroom every quarter or every six months how do you keep it fresh and fun and true to Elise? At the boardroom level. At any level, strategic any level. or tactical, right? So yeah. you check the box around getting into the boardroom. Now you got to go back to the back office and do the work, right? Right. What does that look like? It's being 100%, yeah, authentic to who you are and, and not changing it for who the audience is. And that's something that's also very ballsy 
and takes a lot of um, courage to do is is to not alter the message or the um, the way you deliver something depending on who you're talking to. I am the same way. If I'm talking to the custodial engineer, the CEO, or the chair of the board, doesn't matter. And I am me, and, and that's what I love about a lot of the companies in, in tech are moving into a you know come as you are kind of attitude. You know, very accepting of weird and dynamic personalities because we're all very different. So I think yeah. that's how you kind of keep it keep it authentic to you. And then that just makes you present better when you're authentic mm-hmm. to yourself. You don't, you, you're dynamic, you're fun, you're energized, you're passionate, all the things people love when you're, you know, re- reporting on something that you're, you know, you're trying to change your, your uh, me- methodology and how you communicate. It comes across as very robotic and very scripted and everything, like even your hand movements become scripted. And I also treated every request equally another ballsy move um i have been told multiple times that i have bigger balls than most men so just you know women out there sorry for that phrase but that is what i've been told multiple times um but another thing you, you, can do you didn't is- say it they said it <laughs> they said it yeah I, but i'm repeating yeah. it which you know You're just rephrasing it yeah, yeah exactly. right um the other thing is like not only being authentic to every audience but also um you know giving taking the requests from everyone equally um, mm-hmm. And not ignoring the, the the lowly product marketing manager over in the corner who's desperately trying to figure out how to write a battle card or communicate something in a conference setting, you know, the competitive differentiation um, in, in lieu of, you know, helping some strategy person off in the corner who mm-hmm. has some like 10 year vision that may never, ever, you know, ever happen. It's really yeah. balancing all of the requests equally and treating everyone as equal humans just because you have a C in your title doesn't make you more entitled to have more information faster it's everyone's all on the same page and you if you can try to like double team it not double team it but like get more bang for your buck by combining requests into the same thing then you can get one analysis and give it out to 10 people and you've got checkbox 10 box 10 people's boxes yeah my vp calls it nail it and scale it so if you nail it for one customer if you get that template that battle card that external champion content deck ready you could scale it across the enterprise and also to prevent future requests right that's how the cycle goes from tactical to strategic right i love that elise you bring up such a great point and i think the authenticity in ci is that swagger that you bring to the table right it's that when you when you're the back office hanging with the team and and game planning with the team, or if you're in the boardroom, it's that swagger and that authenticity that you bring around. They don't, they might not know who you are, but they know your brand before you walk in the room, right? Right. Because you emanate that. So I absolutely love that story that you shared around that and the wisdom that you have always uh, at your fingertips to share. I'm so lucky to have you here. Um, We're going (laughs) to shift to a question around what do you disagree with? So I love talking with you, Elise, because you have such strong, clear, uh, data-backed, story-backed rationale. So what do you disagree with that's a commonly held belief in in your profession, right, in competitive intelligence? Like what don't, what do I agree with is probably a better question because I'm, I, that'd be a lot you shorter. Yeah. <laughs> I but, guess it's it's just, it's a white space thing, right? If you say one right. thing, you mean the opposite, right? So you you take it however you'd like to take no, it. No, I I disagree with a lot of things just because um I'm I'm not a sheep. I don't like to be. I don't like to follow the herd. I like to figure out okay, the sheep are going that way. Is that smart? I I will go if I analyze it and make sure that's the right direction. But most often it's not. One thing that I think is a huge fallacy in competitive intelligence in general, especially since you've got a lot. There's a lot of new people coming into this profession. Is the whole concept of job titles. Everyone strives to get manager, director, VP, yada, freaking yada. And honestly, yeah. I've been in this for so many, you know, what, like I said, almost 20 years. And yeah. there's only so much room you can grow with you stay in the profession. So mm-hmm. then people make that 
decision, they're like, oh, well, then I need to go be a manager. Well, I'm telling you right now, not everyone's cut out to lead people and to be the asshole in the room that says no. And so uh, I had multiple stories of ex people, people who used to work in my team, try the management route. Absolutely hated it, hated the politics, hated the drama, just wanted to go back and do some real cool practitioner stuff. It's something to know is like, don't jump into that just as the only career ambition. Right. Just because um, you can go up. There's also the lateral move. Is that what you're right. saying? Yeah. And there's about a ton of people that have come through um, a lot of the teams I've, I've built. I always I always like to think of CI as a way as a kind of a middle ground of wanting to go from one point A to point B. Multiple people came in from um, like what tech support. Uh, there was a, right out of college. There's um, gosh, marketing, product management. Yeah. And then they pivot out of that after they get exposure to all the things and go, oh, I want to go into sales engineering, you know, they kind of pivot all over the place. But having that ability to go, yes, I don't care about the actual level title. As long as you're paid well, you're providing value, you love what you do and you love who you work with. That's all that matters. Um, if you can hit check those four boxes, you could be peon, you know, moron. I don't even care what your title says. As, <laughs> as long as you're happy doing it. And I think the other issue that I, I have a huge pet peeve about with job titles and I'm going off on a tangent, but that's what let's I do. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. You're um, on a roll. I love it. I'm, on, I'm at the Elise show right now. I'm eating my popcorn. <laughs> well, yeah, I should actually have popcorn. If I was keto, I could. Um, I, what I would do is, or what I think is so annoying about what's happening in our profession is that people do want to get the, the title. They want to move on. They move on either through a marketing lens or product management or strategy or whatever it is to get to that C level, you know, mm -hmm. checkbox. And what happens is that everyone, like, that's what they're told. You go like leadership development programs, like Lockheed was known for this, is they they take right. people, you, you know, bounce around from different parts of the organization and boom, you're a leader magically. And what that does is it creates a boatload of generalists, a bunch of people that know a lot of little, like a lot of things, but nothing in depth, right? Exactly about this layer deep. How do you run an organization if you have no expertise? We're not incentivizing people to stay in professions and, and, and give them that, that the years, the decades experience in an industry or in a profession to really hone in their skills. Nothing against folks who like to bounce around and do the generalist thing, but I just wish we have more avenues for people who really want to dive into competitive and really yeah. know their industry in and out and know how to do this well. Um, I feel like we're losing that because of the whole job title thing. I, I completely agree. I've had so many different job titles in my short kind of 10 year career in CI. I've been, uh, I'm currently a senior product marketing manager, dash compete, right? Um, I, I've been a senior analyst. I've been a principal analyst. I've also been uh, a competitive analyst and it, it kind of can switch. So I think that if there's any of a chance, it's now because there's so many CI jobs out there on the job boards. I've received so many LinkedIn messages. It's astounding for com compete. And then on top of that, the industry is changing so fast. So for example, the concept of a distinguished solution engineer didn't exist a couple of years ago. Right. And now it's a lauded highest of the high, like a sales engineer could get there. I recently heard about somebody, a closer under mine who got pr promoted to VP of competitive intelligence. I didn't even know that was possible. 
five, 10 years ago, that didn't even exist. I thought I would have to switch to a different career completely that I'll get topped out to your point, Elise. So I think that these days things are shaken up, right? Especially with hotly funded companies. I'm seeing the role of competitive enablement come up. I see uh, competitive intelligence, competitive intelligence in action. So I really think that there's hope not to be super positive or optimistic, but I do think if there is any hope now, especially in tech, especially in these times where you're bringing your whole self to work, I hope that titles won't hold anybody back, but they'll also promote you forward. I, I let's hope that this podcast helps make that happen because we've said it and now yep. it will happen, right? We put it out in the universe. It is a standard. We set the standard, Elise. I love it. I absolutely love it. So we talked a lot about work. We talked a lot about the industry. We talked about up-leveling each other. Um, tell me something fun, right? Tell me something that you would give a presentation on for 30 minutes, what would it be? Your hot topic, you could pick anything in the world. What would you talk about to a huge room of like 2,000 people? What would be that topic? Oh my God. That's a curveball. This, this is totally wow. for fun. This is like Elise, the true Elise inside. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I mean, Green Bay Packers come to mind, but I mean, that's competitive though. Immediately you get into the whole compete angle and that's not really you know, outside of the realm of this question. Oh my gosh. Um, massive keto fan, but I mean, that gets weird because I don't want to promote keto to everyone. So it's not, you know, for every, every body type. So that probably wouldn't work. Um, I guess I, my dogs, like I don't have kids. I have dogs and my dogs are my children. Um, I could give probably a seven day seminar on greater Swiss mountain dogs, honestly. <laughs> And it wouldn't be educational and it wouldn't be based off of a lot of facts. It would be based off of random stories of the four wonderful dogs I've had in my life that have done the stupidest things, the best things. Um, I, I adore these creatures. We had two in a previous life, um, you know, when I first, we first got married and then took a little break and now we have two more. Um, and we've and had- What are a, their names? I need to title this seven day <laughs> seminar. It's not the adventures of Elise's dogs. It's the adventures of- Archie, Kodiak, Brooks, and Edison. <laughs> Brooks and Edison. Oh man. So you know, like, I would go to that seven day seminar. I might bring Lucy, my rescue dog. Oh, you I have to. Me. All dogs would be invited. Absolutely. Um, Equal dog like to win ratio, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we could do a whole day just on on Archie, who was a therapy dog. He was a, a rescue, oh, um, abused as a puppy, got him as a year old, underweight, food aggressive, but then he turned into this most amazing therapy dog. Where I didn't believe in any of that that stuff until I actually physically saw him work with people and the change he made. And it was like, it, it was life-changing, amazing. Wow. And then Kodiak was our first AKC champion. We got him in the confirmation ring. God, he was a goofball puppy, loved to throw his Kong up and down. Um, <laughs> and now we have, they've, they've since passed, unfortunately. They, you know, they don't live as long as we, they should. Um, and now we have Brooks as another rescue. Well, not rescue, he's just a rehome. He was supposed to be shown, but he's too short, so. We gave him to us and we're like, perfect. He's a neurotic idiot. We love him dearly. He likes to sit on people. Um, and Edison's our puppy. He's a monster. He's huge. He thinks the world is his oyster. Everyone should give him attention immediately and that he has no rules. So typical two-year-old puppy. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing this side of you. I, I haven't smiled this wide in so long until I hear about your seven-day dog seminar here. Um, I would love, we have to put bunches bunch of pictures on the promotion of this podcast everywhere of your dogs to give them equal love and affirmation. And I don't have kids either. So I definitely love the fact that, you know, you find joy and, and purpose through through dogs and however you want to live your life. And, you know, is really interesting because 
I was projecting in my head what I thought you'd say, but you said dogs and I did not expect that coming. What did you think? I'm curious. So fun fact, fun story about everybody listening. When I first met Elise, it was at a competitive intelligence conference called Reconverge back in Mm -hmm. 2015. And Elise went up there and she was hot shit. She knew her room. Her team was in the audience. It was padded. She had her softball questions ready. She knew like 90% of the room already through her fabulous networking skills. But she went up there. She talked about her career in line with Mario video game journeys. So Elise, I'm just gonna leave that out there. Tell us what that was about and what our audience should know about your career parallels alongside Mario as a video game journey. Oh my gosh, you are bringing up. (laughs) That was so many years ago. I was on this Mario craze. One thing about me is whenever I do a presentation, it has to be centered around some kind of fun thing. And so we've done Star Wars. I did a Mario SKO presentation at McAfee that got me in massive trouble. That's another podcast altogether. Um, You know, Looney Tunes, whatever it is. But this one happened to me. um, Yeah, I, I, I like to find parallels in the conversation with some kind of pop culture thing. And when I was thinking about my career, I kept thinking of like the the ups and downs of the whole Mario series and, and how there were some games hit and some games just didn't. And then there were pivots and then there were like amazing things. And then there was growth and then there was shrinkage. And it was all these things that kind of went with, you know, the, um, the video game industry. And yeah, so started off with the very early days of Mario gosh, back. And I think I went back as far as the old Japanese only Japanese game. It wasn't even in the US or anywhere else yet. And, um, you know, like how Mario came out and that was when the McAfee team got built and then Super Mario 2 hit. And I think that's when Intel bought McAfee and because that was that game was not great. I don't care what you say, Super Mario 2 sucked. Um, but then after, you know, that drama went through, I think it was Super Mario 3, which was amazing. I still think that's one of my favorites, you know, and then there's the Mario Kart because you got to have fun. I mean, it, yeah, it really yeah. was ridiculous. <laughs> I'm so surprised you remember that. It made an everlasting impression on my professional heart and soul. So I need that deck. I need that. De- I definitely need that deck so we can share it with the audience, even if it's just the visuals, not the actual content. Um, I thought that you were just such a genius in terms of interlacing it. And when I was starting out my CI career to see such a industry titan like you 20 years in, super resilient, um, still positive, still looking for the best in people and the best in situations. That's what I took out of it. Um, And I forgot the content, but I remembered the theme. And most importantly, it brought us to having this conversation today. So kudos to you for putting yourself out there. Um, Specifically speaking about career transformations and career journeys in Compete and in just in tech in general, a couple of thoughts around that. Um, What happen in your career when maybe something didn't go right or maybe it was going in a wrong direction that you needed to re-pivot when were you in the wrong type of mario game well yeah um <laughs> not, to my friends at sudulu i apologize in advance um nothing against sudulu as a company this was purely on me but i joined the sudulu group um, company as a consultant i thought i'm gonna take all of my years in grand wisdom and compete and apply it to all the things, all the different industries out there. And I'm, I'm that great. I can do this. So I join and I'm doing research on like fruit distribution and APAC and makeup and Korea and just random things. And, um, some of it was still high tech, which I found, you know, I've, I had a little bit better grasp over, but like, you know, I don't know what the average Korean uses for makeup. I, and I 
I don't, don't really care. Like that was part of the problem is I didn't really have the care that I yeah. needed in the industries that I was supporting because the business mm -hmm. that I, I ran was very broad. It was pretty much everything outside of pharmaceuticals. So you can imagine where that led to. I was there 18 months. I think, I think I got 18 months in before I realized this, I'm not doing justice to the clients that we're bringing in. It was, um, yeah. I, I had fun. I had a great team and I love the people I worked with. Uh, it's just, I didn't feel like I was putting my heart and soul into every project equally. Yeah. I would, you know, if it was a high tech or security project, I'd be like, yes, this is awesome. And then the other ones come in. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this, but I'm not doing it. I didn't feel like it was at my level. You know, I found that I, I found a different opportunity back into high tech and I bid them adieu. And I said, you know, I, I we still on great terms. I still send a lot of work their way. There's actually, we're writing a book. Um, uh, there's a book coming out here very shortly. Uh, Zena, Phil, Zena Applebaum, Phil Britton and I, um, and collaborated with a bunch of CI people. And one of the chapters in there is actually a fun chapter that uh, JP and I wrote together about just like the life of a consultant versus life of a practitioner. It gets into this detail as to why I realized this isn't for me. Knowing who you are drives what you should do and having that great self-awareness is huge. So that, that yes, there's a book coming out. It's called The Practical Guide to Competitive Intelligence coming out here in the next couple of months. Look for it. A bunch of other chapters from some really, really amazing people. So I highly recommend checking that out. Well, first off, congrats about the contributions to the book. I don't know if you are, sounds like you're a co-author. Yeah. It's a weird title because we, we're, we're all authors. We wrote stuff, but we're kind of, I think we're editorial authors. Editorial. I don't know what the technical title I'll just is. call you a co-author. I think it sounds really nice. Very and then well. you can edit this out after <laughs> <laughs> when you have your own book tour that you go on. Right. <laughs> but I, I know Phil, I know Zena and they're just I can't wait to have them on the podcast too to promote the book maybe more officially as well. Um, but to your point, at least I think that the concept of self-reflection and self-awareness is your shining light, is your special power that I've seen throughout not only our time working together in the industry, but also on our podcast today. And I just want to applaud you for, for being um, so real with yourself on those moments that could make or break career and also for calling it right. I had a similar story too, where I was in an industry and it, and it was just really hard to do research around it. It was kind of dry. It was kind of boring. And I realized like it didn't light my fire. And when I found the industry that I'm in now with collaboration, I was like, this is it. This is, this is what really taps into my excitement. So I know that feeling. And I also know the Sedulo group and for all of our listeners um, listening in, there's two kind of concepts of competitive intelligence. There's internal facing competitive practitioners like Elise and I are right. Who do that internally. And then you can outsource projects to external firms like Sedulo. So that's kind of the, the full context there. Um, Elise, I know we're kind of coming up on time. We, we can do this for hours and hours. I love to spend my Monday uh, fun fact for everybody on the line. I'm on, I'm in Kodiak, Alaska. Elise and I just found out that we have this Kodiak connection through our dogs and through our geography here. Um, but Elise, in our final kind of couple minutes here, is there any parting words that you want to say to people who maybe doubt that CI can be fuel to their career or any naysayers who say, we don't have any competitors today? What would you say to potentially any detractors listening in? Well, first of all, to the people who think they don't have competition, you're an idiot. I'm sorry. Flat out. <laughs> Come on. No, seriously, there is no industry that is you know, as null and void of competition, everything is competition. Even Intel as a chip manufacturer had competition. So let's be real here. Yeah. Um, that's just an arrogance thing that people need to get over. And I've never heard any real person say that. It's usually very, very arrogant CEOs say that. So, you know, to your audience, you're all good. No one's an idiot. No, I, I think that, you know, folks that are kind of 
hesitant to join a career like this. It isn't, it isn't for everyone. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You have to be analytical. You have to be, you know, passionate for what you're doing. If you don't have those kinds of things and you're not loving what you're doing, then you're not going to excel in this role. I'm just pure and simple. But if you're the type of person that you know, when you want to buy a TV, you're over, you're going to Best Buy or wherever, and you're analyzing all the different TVs, and you got a matrix, and you got a weighted matrix, and you're figuring out all the ins and outs, and calling people, and getting reviews, and reading Reddit. Yeah, you're an analyst. You may not have that title today, but that's what you are, and you could probably really excel in a role with an actual full-out compete, you know, full-time career, or do a part-time, you know, in your in your role as a marketing person, as a product manager, what have you. That, that this is the time to get into this profession. There's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of fun people. I mean, look at what Claire is doing here. She's putting up a, a podcast, getting folks out there, like talking about what they're doing, educating you all. I mean, massive applause to you. This is awesome that you're putting this together. And I'm in awe of what you're doing. I never even thought of something like this. It's such a great idea. And I'm just so honored to be here. And I will support anything that you're doing with this, this series. I think it's awesome. Thank you, Elise. I'm speechless and I might be crying a little bit. <laughs> my, my makeup is melting off. But Elise, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your stories, sharing your laughter, sharing everything in between, and most importantly, leaving us nuggets of gold uh, around not only how to elevate CI as a profession and competitive enablement as a profession, but also most importantly, how to get that invite back into the boardroom every time and be your authentic self along the way. So to all the listeners out there, whether you're doing CI in 1% of your role or 100% of your role, or maybe 5% of your role, or maybe it's just a line item on your job description, absolutely, absolutely want you on this podcast in the future. Please feel free to share. And Elise, we'll catch you in another episode. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.